Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Oh, so beyond our limits into the deepest of connections, whether those connections are with ourselves, our bodies, our loved ones, and those with whom we work in one capacity or another, this is going to be enlightening. It is going to be constructive. It's going to provide you with tools. At least the careful reading of the book, The Art of Connection, Subtitle, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs to Know. If you study that book, oh, my goodness, you're going to walk away with so many practical and emotionally stirring capacities woken up inside of you. And guess what, everyone? We get to talk to Michael J. Gelb, the author of The Art of Connection and a myriad of other books. Hello, Michael. Welcome. So glad you're here. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, Michael, this book is all about connection. And when I went studied all seven of these relationship building skills, I have to say that I was deeply moved by the end of the book, not only by each of the chapters, but by the concept of blending. And while I know that's probably Mm -hmm. Looking at the cart after instead of the horse, I want, <laughs> jump, I want people to jump into that experience because I think connection on so many levels is underestimated. Can you walk us into blending? Sure. Well, blending is a term that comes from the martial art of Aikido. And Aikido is a Japanese art, uh, the term... I means harmony, ki is energy, and do is a way or a path to enlightenment. So Aikido is the harmonious, the path of harmonious energy. And it's really a work of incredible genius because it was, it was founded by a martial artist who was renowned in Japan for being able to defeat opponents he, was, he wasn't a big guy, but he, was, he had a lot of mojo, <laughs> a lot of power. Uh, but he also had a very spiritual orientation, and he felt that the paradigm in which martial arts took place was the win-lose paradigm that we're used to applying in most contests, and martial mm-hmm. arts viewed as a contest. Uh, and he felt that this, was not in alignment with his deeper spiritual intuition that all life was interconnected. So he had a classic enlightenment experience. And I've actually studied enlightenment experiences from different traditions, and they always have two components. One is people feel a sense of connectedness with all of life. And the other aspect of enlightenment experiences is that people uh, experience light. And I think that's why they call it enlightenment. <laughs> of course, yeah. So, right? So connection with everything and, and amazing light. And in this moment of this incredible experience, he had a, a, an epiphany. He realized that martial arts should only be used for protection and to restore connection rather than to vanquish and punish an opponent. Mm-hmm. Now, the really amazing thing is he took these traditional martial arts techniques, which had been designed to just hurt other people, and he figured out how they could be used to redirect the force of an attack while causing minimal harm to the attacker. Mm-hmm. And it really works. I mean, the uh, uh, enlightened police forces around the world have actually learn how to apply this to restrain uh, uh, and protect people from hurting themselves and getting hurt. Uh, So the core of this, though, is that when the attack comes at you, when the strike comes, what what do people do when if there's a strike coming their way? They they either 
strike back, uh, uh, run away, uh, or they freeze and get, you know, <laughs> get hit. <laughs> and none of those are particularly adaptive. Now, uh, for us, this is a metaphor. Uh, you may not face somebody throwing a, a punch at you, but when somebody insults you, when somebody uh, doesn't seem to acknowledge you in the way you'd like to be acknowledged or recognize you in the way you'd like to be recognized, for a lot of us, that's actually even more painful than a physical attack. And the idea of blending, which is the genius of, of Aikido, is that in that moment, if you can stay centered, if you can keep your wits about you, and there's, as you remember, there's lots in the book about how to actually do that because you have to practice. But if right. you can, then instead of punching back, instead of running away, instead of freezing and getting hit, you can, you can harmonize, you can move so that you're not going to receive the force of the blow. So another way of saying this is you can avoid taking the attack personally and you can empathize with the problem that's causing the person to attack you. And, and this, this is, it's, it's almost like a magical power. It's so disarming. If you don't respond, if you, uh, in a habitual way, if you don't just get angry, if you don't do anything to make it worse, which is, you know, I call this the first rule of conflict management is don't make it worse. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah. Right. So this is, this, this is all, this is all part of the, it sounds so simple to blend, but you can see there's obviously there's a lot of depth to it, which is why I think you asked me right. this first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Michael, your very first experience with the sensation and the events of blending. Your very first experience wow. where you found inside yourself what it was like to connect with the energy and the power of the other individual. And instead of buttressing it or trying to defeat it or pound it, you you blended with it and then used it to sidestep or to use their energy to move it away from harming yourself and them harming it others what was that first experience like and i'm not so much talking about in martial arts i took akita no i, I remember yeah. that but, yeah but i'm talking about the the human process of connecting under that type of situation what do you think I, yeah oh that's uh, i i remember a number of early in my career instances where i i recognize that blending was really going to be the key to being successful in my career because I, I, I write books, uh, but people read my books and then they engage me to do seminars for them. And that's really how I've earned my living over the years. And I started out, I was quite young and I was teaching seminars to people who were twice my age. And now I'm teaching seminars to people who are half my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a but, long and lively career. So, yes. Right. Uh, but one thing that remains the same uh, from the beginning, although it was, it was you know, in a way probably more challenging in the beginning because I would frequently receive very challenging questions from people in the audience. And they would, you know, question uh, uh, the validity of something that I was saying, they would, with a you know, kind of very skeptical voice tonality, ask me what was the research behind what I was saying, or I could just see that they, they sort of said, who is this young guy and how dare he come and teach me how to think? Uh, I'm, you know, a senior manager in a big company, and this is some 26-year-old kid. Uh, uh, so, but what I learned to do was not take that personally and try to empathize with the the feeling that I actually, you know, upon reflection, it was kind of legitimate to me. I, if I was an older person uh, and some 26-year-old kid was going to teach me how to think, I might be a little bit skeptical too. <laughs> of course, yes. Right? And I... And I also, you know, I, I, my career early on, like I got, I got engaged by the DuPont company to teach all of their chemical engineers. I used to do a three-day program on creative thinking for their chemical engineers. I did this for seven years. I trained like a whole generation of 
DuPont uh, chemical engineers. And things that to me were intuitively obvious, I realized, you know, th- these are people like with a different Myers-Briggs type than me, different Enneagram type than me. They have a different way of receiving and processing information than I did. So instead of just being inspirational and telling great stories, which I love to do, I realized that, you know, to get through to these people, I need to, to give them data. I need to give them research chapter and verse. And I needed to share that and put charts and graphs in my presentations, uh, uh, even though that's not my preferred way of uh, receiving information. It wasn't about me. It was about them. So I learned really early uh, to blend with what the audience needs and make it about them. And then when somebody would get, try to give me a hard time, I, I didn't see it as giving me a hard time. I just I learned to not take it personally and blend with and empathize with and put myself in their position. And I, I remember way back when I first started, people would come to me after my, my seminar and they'd say, wow, you were so great handling that difficult person. And I remember I would always say to them, what difficult person? because it didn't seem difficult to me because I, I really learned how to be empathic with the, the needs of my audience. So this is, so your first experience of the blending was when you're dealing with the onslaught of judgment that's coming your direction. And you talk a lot about that people do things out of their sense of need, personal need, when you experience someone else's need to put you down, to say antagonistic things, to belittle you, when you experience that, what's the dance inside of you emotionally? Where do you experience that in your body and your emotions? <laughs> I love this. Okay. That's so great. All yeah. right. No, because it really is. You're right. exactly. It's like uh, it is. I mean, I am. You know what? Uh, I think some uh, uh, psychological term for it is is they call a hot reactor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm a very, I'm, that's I'm a really passionate person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just like, that's why I've gotten good at this. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a fifth degree in black belt in Aikido. And there's a reason I've studied this this much because I need a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, no, but, seriously. I, mm-hmm. Just because I wrote these books and teach these classes doesn't mean I'm not actively working on myself now. Uh, I am on a regular basis because my, my, immediate reactive automatic tendency is to take everything personally to mobilize all battle stations and to crush and destroy anybody who messes with me in any way. There you go. <laughs> and you know this about yourself. Okay. You've seen the evidence of oh, it yeah. many times. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. From day one. I mean, I know, you know it's just like my heart will start beating faster. I will feel this you know, just surge of energy. I could feel the, uh, you know, the mobilization of the really of the fight flight response. And, and I'm more oriented to fight, uh, to go right in there and just let them have it. And, you know, and I was, when I was in high school, when I was in high school, you know how they, they vote uh, for different things like, you know, most athletic or best looking or most scholarly. Well, sure. I won class arguer. Cause wow. I was, you know, so I learned, I mean, I didn't get into a lot of, a lot of physical fights. I translated into how do you take somebody apart verbally? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, uh, there was, there was, I was the, uh, the other person who won class, the woman who was the, the, the woman, the girl who won class argued from the girl side of, uh, you know, went on to become a, a leading attorney. And the thought was that I would be, you know, I could become a litigator because I'm pretty good at arguing. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought uh, uh, there has to be a better way. <laughs> there has to be a more enlightened way than this uh, uh, this win-lose contest mentality, which is, look, it's great for sports, uh, but it's not great for life. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so that, that philosophical notion uh, is what uh, inspired me to 
work on myself, which you know, I continue to do. Uh, it's it, people, you know, work on oneself is not. It's not like something you complete. It's not okay now. Now I've mm-hmm. sorted it all out. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a continuing process and a, and a journey. And that's you know that's what's so much fun about sharing uh, the art of connection is. I tried to put down. Here's what I've learned so far that I think can be most of help to other people who want to be more connected, who want to you know just figure out how to have more freedom and possibility and fulfillment and effectiveness in all of their relationships. So how do you navigate this fiery personality, this, this flight, this <laughs> flight, fight toward fighting? And how do you navigate that internally? What's the internal dialogues that go inside you? Mm-hmm. What's the, the way in which you exercise a lot of the tools you mentioned or how do you come to terms with yourself and that there's this other person coming to terms with themselves and you're in this moment of conflict? It's, it's a type of connection. It's engagement. But you're in this Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing is, is, you know, one of my mottos is we all need all the help we can get. So, you know, the book is filled with all these practical exercises and they're all yes. things that I really actually do. You know, I do loving kindness meditation. I do go for a walk in nature in silence every day that I'm home. If I'm not on the road teaching a, a seminar, I go into nature, uh, which mm-hmm. is just a great, great mm-hmm. teacher. And what, what happens is uh, uh, that it, it, this creates, it creates a kind of storehouse, an abundance of peace. I, I think you know, it really shifts the nervous system. It re, re-educates the nervous system so that even though the tendencies are there, the nervous system has been trained to, to recalibrate uh, 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 in real time uh, and you know, exhale, change posture, uh, shift to a little smile, soften the eyes. These are all physiological uh, practices that change us out of the fight flight response uh, mm-hmm. and into present centered awareness where we're way more resourceful, where all of a sudden the option of blending or disarming the situation or just coming up with creative solutions that you never would have even thought of, it, it all becomes an option because uh, there's, you know, you're not just in pre-programmed uh, behaviors and it really is like you know it's an investment you you invest in it uh, people you know my, my, one of my this is a, a example and um, you know somebody who is has a fiery kind of character and you're driving along in your car uh, and somebody cuts you off you know I live in the uh, New York State, New York, New Jersey area, and people people go ballistic. They go crazy if they think somebody, you know, won't uh, uh, you know cut in their lane too soon, or uh, they don't want to let you make a left turn, and they're giving each other the finger, and they're doing you know, it's just unbelievable. Right. Uh, now, now here's the <clears throat> thing: is when somebody cuts me off, I feel the same impulse. It's not. It's not that the impulse isn't there. It's like you know, to curse them out or, or, or think what a, a jerk they were. But it's just I'm freer from having to react that way. And I look at them and I, you know, I might think, "What a jerk," <laughs> but I'm not right. going Honest. crazy. And then I think, I think, you know, God bless you. Go to driving school. <laughs> but it's just oh, okay. I'm just you know. I haven't, it hasn't hijacked my whole mind, body, emotional state, and I'm not going to do anything to make it worse. I'm not going to speed up my car and try to, you know, cut in front of them or, or, or give them the finger. And, you know, it just, all of that is just so silly if you stop and think about it. And yet people are acting this sort of thing out on all the world stages, uh, uh, left and right. So if you want to be free from that, uh, 
you need some kind of practice. And the same is true, by the way, of, of other people who, who might be the opposite, who mm-hmm. might let other people push them around, who need to be more assertive, who need to, to very carefully clarify their boundaries and let other people know what's not okay. Uh, that person needs the same kind of practice to create the inner freedom to have a choice to do something outside of their habit, which may just be to withdraw and apologize for being there and, 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 and allow themselves to be pushed around. So it doesn't matter you know, which uh, uh, your, your proclivity is. What's important is that you're able to have some freedom from your proclivity. That's, that's beautifully said, and as I'm getting to know you, and this is just delightful, as I'm getting to know you, I realize that predominantly you're saying you're an individual that engages dynamically as opposed to uh, uh, retreating or moving away or keeping isolated or uh, detached. And that dynamic yes. engagement comes with its wonderful qualities and also has its other side. And in one of your chapters, you talk about taking stock of who you are, whether it's going through personality examinations or psychotherapy or self-analysis, taking stock of who you are, both to know who you are and to look at the goods and the bads of that, the the worthwhile and the not worthwhile, and also um, so that you don't stay fixated at that point. Can you talk about the discovery of going, I'm here, I like this. Wow, I'm also fixated. That was a really interesting concept that you proposed. Tell us more. Mm, thank you. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's a chapter on, on transcending fixations, and it is you know to, so self knowledge, uh, understanding you know how you're wired, uh, uh, noticing whether you tend to engage or withdraw. Do you tend to go along? Do you tend to uh, Assert. Do you uh, um, do you get angry first, or do you get afraid, or do you blame yourself and feel shame? Uh, so these are some of the big categories that people fall into, and one of them isn't any better than the other. You know, reacting with anger isn't any more adaptive than reacting with fear or shame. Uh, and most people are reacting from one or another of those three predominant emotional default settings. Uh, So whatever type you are uh, is no better than any other type. What is important is are you becoming a healthier version of your type? And the, the key to do that is I'm aware of you respond automatically. And the beauty of this is as you do, you become more compassionate with yourself. You realize that you're doing what you do because you're wired to do it that way. And that is the beginning of some degree of freedom. The same thing is true then when you start to become aware of other people and you see that they're doing what they do because they're wired that way as well. And it makes it just so much easier to be empathic and and compassionate and and kind and uh, helpful to other people in your life, whether you're managing them or marrying them or raising them as a parent or teaching them as a school teacher. Uh, So we have self-knowledge, and, and knowledge of others. And this, this is it's such, it's so powerful when you see, when you really pay attention, instead of defending, instead of saying I'm right and the way I am is the right way to be, if you just give up, well, it's not right or not wrong, it's just fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's mm-hmm. just interesting. And then to see, you know, how this can help you be, you know, I'll give, I'll give you a really personal example. Just wonderful. So I'm, you know, I, a lot of times I'm up in front of an audience of a couple thousand people and there's nothing I like more. 
I mean, I will go in there and my energy is more than up to it. I'll have more energy at the end of it. I can hold their attention, uh, you know, the entire time. They'll give me huge applause. I'll sign books for them afterwards. Uh, I'll hang out with them as long as they want to because I totally thrive in that kind of environment. But the same, the same uh, personality traits that make me good at holding the attention of a large audience for 90 minutes, I've learned through, you know, not just personality typologies, but feedback from various people in my life over the years that uh, that can be a little bit overbearing. <laughs> huh. Said delicately. In, in, in interpersonal relationships. Yeah, yeah. No, because mm-hmm. no, like, it's just funny. Like, I have this affectionate, uh, uh, humorous sense of, like, I can make fun of myself. Like, I realize, yeah, this is, mm-hmm. I'm glad right. I got this feedback because, I mean, you know, I've learned over the years to not always dominate the conversation, to ask lots of questions, to just be quiet, to... Mm-hmm. Uh, be really gentle to be uh, uh, just you know to shift outside of my mode uh, my habitual mode and you know it it really really helps uh, and you know so but here's a more recent just so I I'm, I'm married to just somebody I just utterly adore and wonderful. wonderful super happy great relationship but that oh, doesn't mean wonderful. that we're on auto, automatic pilot. You know, we have to, I, this is dynamic. It's happening on a daily basis that, that my self-knowledge and my ability to uh, shift and change out of habitual modes allows me to, you know, this is the art of connection. I mean, I'm practicing it with the actual person that I love the most. So, you know, we, we, we live together. We collaborate uh, uh, her office is right next to my office. We were doing all sorts of projects together for each other's career. And uh, so I go into her office on a regular basis and, you know, I might have a list of a whole bunch of things that I'm hoping she's going to do. And what I, what I realize is, and I, so I've learned how to say this, uh, in a way that feels more like an invitation rather than me saying, do this, do this, do this, and do this. Uh, but what I realized is, I mean, I just, my energy, my physical presence when I walk in the room, I realized could easily be perceived by my sensitive, beloved uh, wife as too demanding. <laughs> I mean, because I, I realized, like, that's just my nature. It's just, I come in there, there's like this storm of energy suddenly came in your room, and I just think I'm walking in the room without the self-awareness that I have uh, after paying attention to what people have told me and what I've learned from all these typologies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I literally learned how to change my demeanor and shift my energy so that it's it's more of an invitation energetically as well as verbally. And, you know, and then we talk about it and we laugh about it. At, 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 so we, you know, we wind up connecting both by, by having the, the self-awareness and by having a dialogue about it uh, and by being able to laugh at ourselves. And, and, you know, and she knows that and here's the most important point is it's more, uh, it's more important to me that, we're connected, then we're doing whatever's on the to-do list. That connection mm-hmm. comes first. And you know, if it doesn't come first with the person you're married to, how are we going to have a better world? Practice this at home and then practice it at work, and then maybe you can change the world to the world you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have the dominant principle that productivity is the way they steer their every thought. So productivity is like their passion. Get this done. Do this. And they can measure their sense of well-being. They have that verb of enthusiasm when they have a sense of I'm being productive. It's like their definition of, of purposefulness and meaningfulness. And in your book, it really addresses 
those individuals who naturally, and maybe fixatedly, naturally have the purpose of connection. And I was thinking to myself mm-hmm. that there are some people who really don't, they don't really care about connection to another person. They care about the productivity. Someone else might care about an entirely different component of life that isn't about connection nor about productivity. So when I read the the beginning of your book, it was like, okay, this is why connection needs to be at least one of your main ways of interfacing as you are human on this planet. And I was wondering if you could talk very personally how you feel connection is jeopardized, perhaps by devices. You have a wonderful dialogue on that in your book. But how it is jeopardized by the philosophy that we are in the tension and the stress and the conflict and the narcissism and the me, 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 or the get-ahead attitude that keeps us not only disconnected from our other humans and seeing them as human, but the disconnection with our own humanity, that, that internal yeah. sense of, of that verb, a deep, I am this human, and you are that human. Speak to that if you wouldn't mind. Sure, sure. Well, this is, this is, you know, this is the whole reason, the essential reason for the book is it turns out connection is the secret of health, happiness, longevity. And this is not just me saying it. It's not just some nice touchy-feely idea or philosophy. This is research validated the world's longest running social psychology study up in Massachusetts began with approximately 730, 740 young men, half of them Harvard undergraduates, the other half from Roxbury. And they followed these, these men through the course of their lives. And they did extensive interviews with them every year, tested their health and levels of, of, satisfaction and happiness with their lives. And as you might imagine, when the men were young and they started the study and they asked them what they thought would be the key to happiness in their lives, they all said the money and being the you know executive vice president of this big company or running my own business or whatever the achievement and productivity focus they had, uh, that's, that was their criteria. And as they followed the men and, and looked at their lives uh, and found that, uh, you know, some of them achieved these external goals and some of them didn't, but it didn't matter. There, there was just no correlation between any of the things that the men thought were important uh, and their happiness, longevity, uh, uh, or well-being. The only correlate was their positive sense of connection with others. Uh, so this, this, uh, this is, it's the secret of life. Uh, if you want to be happy, if you want to live longer, and if you want to be healthier, you want to be experiencing on a daily basis, positive, loving connection. And I would go even further to say, if you want to have long-term sustainable success, you want to have a sense of, of connection because connection builds trust. Connection supports positive, abundant energy. And you need that energy to sustain a venture over time. So we also know, this is the other thing, uh, we also know now that organizations that are predicated on human values, organizations that value uh, the quality of life and not just the short-term bottom line, will outperform the, the companies that are just focused on the short-term, on, on the immediate profit. Uh, this is you know, the uh, revolutionary work of Professor Raj Sasodia and his colleagues. They 
published the marvelous book called Firms of Endearment. It makes the business case for, for the reality of connection as a key to the long-term success of your, of your – so you, in other words, you'll be more productive if you treat people in a human way uh, uh, consistently over time. So let's take this to the home front, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, the human connection. So I, I've been a, a, a couples of marriage therapist for 40 years. So I love working with couples. They come in, they're distressed, and they're disconnected, and they remember vaguely what it was like to be in love, but all that has been <laughs> soiled and trodden upon, yes. And, right, and they're, in, they're sure. in the midst of conflict, which is also kind of a converse way of engagement. So there's a type of connection there. One thing that's very paramount is the man defines connection one way, the woman another. A man communicates one way, the woman the other. And so the the marked chasm between styles is so evident. And what makes a man feel connected might make that woman feel very disconnected and, and not relevant at all. You know, a man might love a game of tennis or wrestling or or even vigorous sex where the woman wants to sit and look at nature and, and study birds or, or be beholding to the, the marvels of spirituality where the man's brain becomes numb and bored at the very <laughs> contemplation of such passiveness. So here we have the internal structure of the differences of human beings and possibly even the neural wiring that makes a proclivity. And they come and they say, we want to be in love, but I cannot even find who that person is inside of me. They're so different. Well, you're laughing. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, no, just uh, uh, there's a little section in, in the book called Be My Girlfriend. And <laughs> it's, it's a story of, uh, that happened many years ago with a, a woman friend of mine who was going through a really rough time. And she, she was uh, going through a divorce. She had troubles at work. She had just gotten diagnosed with, I mean, it was just everything was going wrong on all fronts. And we were getting for, get together for dinner. And at the beginning of the dinner, she said to me, I want you to be my girlfriend tonight. And I said, excuse me? Beautiful. <laughs> she said, no. Yeah, isn't it great? I mean, she said. Can I just interrupt uh, for a moment? When men please, hear please. that, they're going, "What in the world does being a girlfriend mean?" You know, it's like another world. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, ah, continue. Ah, you got it right. So, and that's how it was. I was like, "What?" Uh, 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 but she said, "No, let me explain." She said, "You know, I'm having a miserable time. That's obvious. And all my guy friends, you know, want to give me advice and tell me how to fix it." Whereas, you know, my best girlfriends are just able to be with me and without, you know, trying to give me advice. And, and I just need you to be more like one of my girlfriends tonight. Can you, do you think you can do that? And I said, yes, I will give it my best. And it was interesting because it wasn't easy. You know, I, right. I am, a, I'm good at advice. I'm, you know, I, I'm a you know, consultant. People ask me, I come up with good advice. And I, you know, I knew right away, things that I thought she should do, but I inhibited saying anything. I even, I, I, uh, I even inhibited the tendency to do something else I'm really good at, which is to make lots of jokes and get her laughing and cheer her up. I just said, I'm just going to be, I'm going to do exactly what she asked. I'm just going to be fully present and I'm just going to be empathic and feel what she's feeling without trying to accomplish anything. So it will be a, an evening of being rather than of doing. And right. it, it was fascinating because it had an effect so much more profound than any advice I could have given. I watched her energy change in the course of the evening, her whole demeanor change. She gave me a huge hug when I left. She called me up the next day and, and thanked me and said just how wonderful and healing and great it was. And I learned, you know, I learned, look, wow, this is just a modality 
that I need to integrate into my life and have available in all kinds of uh, relationships, including a relationship, by the way, with myself. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a spectrum uh, and, you know, it's often associated with gender differences, uh, uh, but it's really, I look at it as, you know, if we think of it uh, as yin and yang, uh, or active and receptive. Uh, all humans want, in my view, it's part of what I've, I've put forward in this book, is want to have more freedom and flexibility to move along that continuum so that we can be more appropriate and more useful and helpful uh, uh, in different kinds of situations. And you know, that, so I, you know, my repertoire was expanded, and it's it's been profoundly useful, and it's something you know, that couple that you're, it, it, it's all it comes down. It's all about <laughs> empathy. It really is all about. Can you, you know, it, there obviously uh, we have to. It's not just you. You know, I'm a guy. I get it. I like. You know, I know the guy stuff. I would like to do. Uh, 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 but not, you know, if you want to be a guy who's going to be really happy with the woman that he's with, you know, my wife is really classically, you know, fabulously feminine. And by celebrating that uh, and tuning into that, what's really interesting is it brings out elements in her that are always, to, to me, wonderful and surprising. And, and so our ability to you know, get outside of uh, strict uh, gender roles and be more fluid, you know, we've been, uh, we've been together for it's almost 13 years, but it's just better than ever. And, you know, it's like we're, I'm looking, she's still the person I would rather have dinner with every single night because we just have such a phenomenal dynamic interesting exploration of life because we're not, we're not just putting each other into boxes. We're not just locking ourselves into these, these, these boxes. And we're, we're curious, you know, we, and I'd say we're, you know, we have humility. It's like she, she will always surprise me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my personality type gets bored really easily, but, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't get bored with my wife. <laughs> uh, it would be wonderful talking to her. I'm not going to, of course, ask to do this, but ask her what time she feels she's contemplating how to get you engaged. Because we, you know, we, we, we don't often look at what another person does to go through the effort of connecting with us. What is this other person doing mm-hmm. that's creating this connecting moment? How are they varying their interaction with me so that I can feel engaged or connected. What is this person doing that's outside their fixated comfort zone on my behalf or on our behalf? And I think interestingly related to this, I'd like to hear you. Oh, you go ahead. Comment on that first. uh, No, no, I just just want, I just want to, I just want to acknowledge the profound wisdom of the question you just shared because Mm -hmm. That's, that's, I mean, it's not surprising you've been doing uh, family therapy for 40 years because that's the next level of empathy. Uh, it's, it's to put yourself so fully into the world of the other person that you're realizing that, you know, they've got their work cut out to try to be with you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you're not necessarily as easy and wonderful as you think you are. <laughs> uh, so, cause, and this works both ways, of course. So, mm-hmm, of course. And so, the idea yeah. that we have had such a great evening, and to pause and say, "What did I do to help create that?" Oh my goodness, what did this other person do to help create that? Because there was effort. There were times words were not said. There were times when mm-hmm. the words were sculptured in a certain way. There was a time when they were doing the blending on your behalf so that they didn't step into your energy destructively and vice versa. It's, uh, it, it's quite a dance to take 
to look at that. You know, I I have I am in the midst of writing a book. It's titled uh, "The Kiss Method of Living." Kiss Method of Living, and I'm going to be speaking in a summit next Monday. Uh, from this book that's in in the midst, hopefully will be done by January 2018. I want to ask you very personally, the first time you remember a kiss having an impact on the fullness of who you are. Oh, Wes, so we're talking about literal kissing, not, 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 not the acronym, keep it simple, sweetheart. Well, that would be another acronym. Yes. No, I'm talking about the actual experience where you felt a kiss and the whole of who you were, as far as you knew, woke up. Yep. Oh, I I got a good one for you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I I, I will tell you about the kiss that completely transformed my life. Uh, And it was... Summer. I was on a summer trip, and there was a girl on this trip who I just had, you know, the wildest crush on. But just she seemed so beautiful, so smart, so cool. I just thought, you know, I didn't really have a chance. <laughs> and there were three days left in the summer. Trip. It was one of these teen tours where you go around the country, sure. and camped out in all these amazing places, and she was just you know, just like the projection of my ultimate ideal girl, uh, but seemed you know untouchable. And anyway, a few days left in the in the summer, and I was sitting on this bench outside in this, uh, some state park, I think it was in Pennsylvania somewhere, and she happened to walk by. And she said to me, hey, how you doing? I said, oh, uh, I'm okay. I'm a little sad the trip is going to end. And she said, yeah, me too. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and I forget exactly the words she said that uh, uh, elicited my opportunity to say. Oh, she, I know she said, she said, well, you know, yeah, you do look a little sad. Uh, how come? So I said, well, I said, there's somebody I'm in love with, and I'm pretty sure, you know, I don't really have a chance. And she said, who is it? And I, you know, I summoned the courage. I said, it's you. And she said, oh, my God. She said, oh, my God, I've been in love with you all summer. Wow. So we kissed, and, I mean, I was 16. She was 15. I remember this so vividly I like the feeling of that kiss it was like you know the frog becomes the prince in the sense that I thought I remember the feel the kiss gave me the alchemical transformation of wow if a girl this amazing could like me maybe I'm okay and you know, and that just, it just went on to, she became my girlfriend. We were together for a couple of years. We went on to kind of college together. And it just liberated me from all of the nonsense of high school and the cliques and everything. Because I, I, I just stopped hanging out with anybody from my high school. I was, I was growing up in New Jersey. She was in Queens. I used to go out to Queens every weekend. Uh, uh, and she was just, you know, so much cooler than anybody in my whole high school. And here's the best part. Uh, um, we're still really good friends. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and so that's the kiss that changed my life for, without any question. If I were to kind of take just one small aspect of what you said, although I'd like to take several, one small aspect first, you're saying that kiss on some level healed any self-doubt of your worth and value. Can I say that? And it would be accurate? Uh, I wouldn't say any self-doubt. I don't know that it was 100% cure of self-doubt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair it, enough. It shifted it. Yeah, it shifted it from uh, uh, from what's you know because I was I was a fairly uh, precocious uh, kid in school, uh, which you know I didn't necessarily fit in that well. Uh, I wasn't necessarily even doing that well in school at that time. So you know, and it's only later, like when I had 
all my, my struggles in school ultimately inspired me to say, I, there's got to be a better way. I want to help contribute to a, a way of educating children that facilitates their creativity and their self-expression rather than trying to shove it into a, a, a little box. So nice. it was part of a, a, a shift where I said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, it's not me. It's them. <laughs> it's, I used to get sent to the principal's office all the time, you know, for behavioral problems. And a few years ago, uh, I got paid to give a keynote speech to the National Principals Leadership Institute. <laughs> wow. Right? And I remember telling the principals, I said, yeah, you know, I used to get sent to the principal all the time, and now they're sending you to me. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, oh, that's hilarious. So, you know, the, so the kiss was just part of a very personal, uh, uh, you know, obviously the romantic uh, uh, element uh, is, was tremendously powerful, but it was part of a, a, a transformation of, oh, I doubt myself. Uh, uh, and to, I mean, there's always doubt, but the shift was in the, the flow of my life direction, which is focused on championing creativity and championing people's ability to express the fullness of who they are. And that's, you know, this, 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 this book, The Art of Connection, comes out of a lifetime of teaching people, you know, how to think like Leonardo da Vinci, how to innovate mm-hmm. like Edison, how to be creative. But then if you learn to think creatively, if you learn how to think like Leonardo da Vinci, well, that's great, but you're going to have to build relationships if you want your creative idea to actually happen. So that's how, you know, it all, it all comes together. Well, thank you for that powerful experience of your first kiss. And it does, uh, <laughs> I, I would want to take another component of the, the, uh, the, the way it moved you off of feeling bad or confused about yourself into feeling, oh, no, I am a, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it, I, I have this philosophy that we have ways of tapping into our core self. You talk, you call it being center, but our core self. And we're so complex, and there may be so many cores to who we are. We have such a broad a, a, a bandwidth of who we could express ourselves to be, but that we have ways of tapping into our core self, our presence, uh, that guides us into our passions and our happiness and our fulfillment and our meaningfulness and even to our deepest connections with other individuals. And I'm wondering to what degree a kiss, like you described, actually helped you move into this fullness of experience of what it meant to be connected. Uh, And if you could, just on a physical level, on a physiological level, and on an emotional level, describe what it's like for you when you know you're in the zone of connection, you're a very intellectual mm. individual. You're so articulate. You think wisely and broadly. But if we condense it down to your physical, sensate body and your soul, so to speak, that doesn't think but experiences, what is connection like for you when you're in the depths of that experience? Mm. It's, it's, it is um, the kind of kinesthetic reality of all these ideas. Uh, it's, you know, the, it is a, uh, I mean, I am a very, very kinesthetic uh, being, so it's sensations of wholeness of pleasure, of expansion, of uh, joy, of ease. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's why it's like I was telling you before about going for a walk in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my very active mind starts to slow down and by the you know the end of the walk, the feeling of the earth underneath my feet and all the subtle sounds of the leaves 
in the wind and birds and other wildlife and the sky. It's all suffusing my being and there's a, a, an in, inner experience of oneness that uh, is different from the idea of oneness and <laughs> it's the same thing if that uh, but even more personal and even sweeter if I have that sense with another person uh, through either either uh, uh, the so-called meeting of the minds uh, uh, or and or the holding hands or hugging or like I say, I mean, kissing is, is one of the most uh, dramatic expressions of it, of this sense of oneness, uh, freedom from the smaller aspect of oneself. And I guess that sounds fairly intellectual, but it's, you know, I'm starting to say like, it's, it's hard to find words for it because, you know, it, you just know it when you're experiencing it. Uh, uh, maybe have, you know, have to write a poem because it's, it's more poetic. <laughs> mm, that was incredibly well transitioned. I appreciate that. I now must move us not into the end, although we're getting frightfully close to it, but <laughs> I'm going to move us actually to the beginning of your book. And I spent so much time with your chapter on humility. And I noted that you did as well, um, that the amount of research, the references, the links of the pages, humility is a huge starting place. And it's also a huge ending place. And with a lack of humility, with a sense of bravado and narcissism that we're inundated, excuse me, I want to get political, but I will refrain, that we're inundated with, that the power of humility, absolute uh, power tool of humility for ourselves and for others, and that if I can just say in the transition of this question, even your expression of what you just did in terms of how it feels to be connected requires you to leap into kind of a vulnerable space where you are humbled by something so much bigger than you are that you blend with in a moment where your boundaries mm-hmm. are down and you're now available to connect good, bad, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just like, it's like you open up to that sensation of, of letting something in and of letting something out, that vulnerability is associated to this, the power of humility. What do you want to say about that? Uh, well, I actually want to reflect back how delightful and different this conversation with you is than most of the interviews that people do. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so thrilled. Right? Thank you. Yeah, seriously, but precisely, no, really, because of because you're asking real questions. You don't want to just hear some other author, you know, blather on about why everybody should buy their book. <laughs> I, that's true. They it's should. It's such a relief. It's such a relief. No, but it's, of course we'd love them to do it, but it's just, but it's just, <laughs> This is this is no seriously. This has been uh, uh, this conversation with you. This is this is uh, uh, as you remember in the in the, uh, the action thing for for the humility chapters to have a real conversation every day, uh, yeah. in which you know. So you're you're curious. You're you really want to explore and you doing this because you know you and what's great is you remembered also the part in the introduction i say today we all need to learn how to talk like a therapist (laughs) (laughs) and you've got you you are so that's why you're good at doing it (laughs) which is but but that's you know that's so but those those kinds of skills that help us get to the depth of thing where guess what Everybody's accessible. Everybody's vulnerable, and because you know, arrogance is is just a, a, a sad a defense against your inability to feel your 
your vulnerability. And, you know, you're not going to live forever. Uh, this is finite. Uh, uh, this experience, this, this ego, this uh, parent identity, the whole thing that seems like such a big deal, it is trans- transitory. Uh, and if you, you know, if you build your whole house of identity on the role you're playing in this movie, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's horrifying because you feel it constantly slipping away and no matter what you do or how much you achieve or how much praise you get or uh, you are, you are not, it's not sustainable. So we have to, you know, we have to look somewhere else. Uh, uh, some uh, to that deeper unchanging aspect of the self. And that's, you know, that's why the real thing I'd like to, uh, to teach my 16 year old self uh, uh, and that I'm trying to uh, strengthen in all of humanity is learning how to be free, even from the need for that external reinforcement for our validity and to get how to, be with aspect, the core of our being that is blessed and that is confident because it's gen, it, because it's humble. It's, it's a delicious paradox. And a paradox is experiences how? Well, it's it's tr- tricky because most people have trouble experiencing paradoxes because they want one right. thing or the other. <laughs> right. Yes. Fixated. Yes. But it's, uh-huh. but, it's, but it's experienced as you know. So nirvana means really to have your mind blown, and paradox is mind blowing. I mean, it's mind blowing to think. There's, you remember the paradox in the beginning of the book, or that, that humble leaders have, which is you see you recognize that everybody's unique and entirely different. And at the same time, it is also true to say everyone is exactly fundamentally the same. Mm -hmm. And if you can hold those two truths in mind simultaneously, it's very empowering to your ability to connect with people because every single person wants to be respected and seen for their uniqueness and their individuality. That's something that's the same in everyone, but, it's an expression of how everybody wants to be seen for what's unique about them. So on some levels, we're entirely unique and there's no one else like you. And another level, everybody's exactly the same. And if you can, if you can get those two things about yourself and everybody else, then, then you're, uh, you're in a much better uh, perspective to, to practice the art of connection. Ooh. Thank you so much for this dialogue. Uh, folks, I haven't done a good enough job in, in selling this book, The Art of Connection, Seven Relationship Building Skills Every Leader Needs Now by Michael J. Gelb. You can get this on Amazon. You can get it everywhere in the bookstore. But you can also get it on a wonderful website, michaelgelb.com. Ooh, I hate to end this on the marketing level of life, but that is a part of life. <laughs> But invest in yourself in reading this book, and you're laughing at my dilemma there, uh, that paradox of, <laughs> of authenticity and marketing, right? How do you want to end this, though, now that I've transitioned us into that world? Well, no, I'm just, I, I, to me, the worlds aren't separate because uh, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation, and... You know, I wouldn't have written this book and you wouldn't have written the kiss book unless we really you know, felt with all our heart uh, that this is a, something that will enrich the lives of the people who, who read them. So uh, thank you for the uh, service of, of, of sharing this because we hope people want to want to know more. And there's also you know, on michaelgeld.com, there's lots of free stuff. Uh, and there's people can connect to my YouTube channel and watch a bunch of free videos and download all kinds of free articles and, and stay in touch because it's great, you know, it's great actually to expand our connection with people who connect to our work. And, and I love hearing from people. So yeah, it, it all fits together actually. Okay. That's a beautiful thing. Another, another way of connecting in other words. 
if you were yeah. to give us some sort of pithy advice in, in an era where people are confused about how to be human, what would be your parting words? Uh, it is that uh, it, you don't have to do anything. You already are. Uh, so you don't have to look outside yourself. It turns out that the classic advice that the truth is within you and you really are your own teacher, guess what? It's really, really true. Hmm. What does that mean? A whole other discussion, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, how much more time do we have now? <laughs> it's, it's, no, that's another hour to go into that, but uh, I hope it provokes people to uh, to explore what they think we mean when we say that. Yes, beautiful. Provoke us into pondering how to live this life to the best of our ability. Thank you so much, uh, folks. Listen, boy, what's so nice about having a podcast is you can listen to this over and over again. And Michael J. Gelb. That's exactly what I hope people do. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Because even though you're in the silence of the Ethernet, you've connected to us. And thank you, Michael, for connecting to me. Thank you. <laughs>